Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle instead of against it? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around sex with your spouse? Are you wondering if it's possible to live a full, healthy life without using contraception? We're going to explore these questions and so many more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in the journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, sex and intimacy in marriage, and everything related to fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. I am so glad you're on the journey with me. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm excited to introduce to you today, Dr. Elisa Yao. She is incredible and I am so excited to have her on to talk about egg quality. It's a thing that we don't hear talked about often enough. So my guest today, Dr. Elisa Yao is passionate about helping couples to get pregnant naturally by carefully searching and addressing the root causes of fertility issues. Using her unique blend of training from functional medicine, natural procreative technology, femme medical management, and now also neofertility. Dr. Yao has a holistic fertility telemedicine clinic in California. She graduated from UC Berkeley with Phi Beta Kappa honors, majoring in molecular cell biology, and completed her medical training at UC Davis School of Medicine. She's now a mother of two healthy girls, having overcome infertility despite advanced maternal age and lean PCOS. She is also the founder of Fertility Breakthrough Academy, an online course that teaches couples how to improve egg and sperm quality using science-backed approaches. I am so excited to have you here, Lisa. Tell us more <laughs> about your background and your interest in women's health, reproductive health for women. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bridget, for inviting me to your podcast. Um, so, well, you know, I kind of got into women's health by accident, I would like to say, because I was originally trained in something called physical medicine and rehabilitation. And so in that field, I typically see patients with chronic pain or stroke patients. But because of my own long journey with fertility challenges in my 30s, and because I was frustrated with my diagnosis of unexplained infertility, and I was also unsatisfied with what I felt was to be a cookie cutter um, and personal approach to the conventional fertility world, I started to do research on my own to figure out what I can do to improve my menstrual cycle and to improve my own fertility. And so I feel very fortunate that with applying what I have learned, um, especially using the functional medicine training, which is about finding and addressing the root causes of fertility issues, I was able to conceive and have my first kid at the age of 37. And uh, having seen my own success and seeing that there is really a need for more healthcare practitioners who can use a more restorative approach to fertility, that's why I got into what I call holistic fertility. Holistic with a W in the front because I do like to know the whole person and um, basically helping couples get pregnant naturally. So as you mentioned along the way, uh, I want to just further my knowledge. So I got all these additional training in the different fields of restorative reproductive medicine. And each of these uh, disciplines in restorative reproductive medicine have given me so much more insight into women's health than I ever did in medical school. So yeah, it's just kind of a unexpected twists and turns of life that landed me here. <laughs> I think it's so awesome how your own frustration and your own experiences, in addition to your training and your professional experiences, really merged together for you to find answers to see what more could be done. And now that's led you to serve women and couples 
in such an extensive way and filling a gap that, like you said, is not addressed in medical school, medical community. Um, and I think like sometimes we hear that as an aside, you know, like, oh, in medical school, it's not really talked about. And I think for lay people saying it and those outside of the professional world, it's kind of like, is that real? Or is that like a conspiracy theory? Like really <laughs> doctors aren't being taught that, but as you as a medical professional are saying, it's not really there. No, no, not at all. And it's kind of sad. I mean, kind of going off on a little tangent, just to illustrate how badly I didn't know as a medical doctor about my own menstrual cycle was that in the beginning of my fertility journey, I had no clue, no clue that I was not ovulating most of my cycles. And so, you know, I just assumed, okay, if you have a period every now and then you're ovulating, but you know, this that was, yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, medical doctors don't really know how to, uh, for the most part, how to restore uh, normal fertility. And the reality is, you know, only 3% of women know when they ovulate. And I feel like doctors themselves usually don't know when they ovulate themselves either. Um, because that's really not, you know, what's taught. Yeah. Yeah, what a disservice for women's health when you think about it, that we've had we have all this technology and all these advancements. And this isn't at the forefront to say, okay, we have these possibilities to determine ovulation, to figure out hormonal surges and decreases, like what's happening in the body. And yet as a whole in the medical community, it's still not prioritized for care. Right, right, absolutely. So in your work, you're focusing on helping women better understand their egg quality. And you also talk about sperm quality too. So mm -hmm. I, I don't ever hear this talked about, and I've never really, you know, experienced any training in it. I'd love to know, like, what does that mean when, when you're talking about egg quality and sperm yeah. quality and why does it matter? Yes. Yes. So let's talk about why it matters first. Why are we even talking about it? So the reason why egg quality is so important is because based on many research papers, egg quality is thought to be the most important factor when it comes to achieving successful pregnancies. So with that in mind, what is egg quality? So in essence, egg quality is the ability of an egg to sustain pregnancy after fusion with the sperm. Now, I know when I first heard that, it kind of took me a while to kind of figure out what that means, because a lot of times people feel that, oh, if the egg meets with a sperm, that's going to automatically going to get you a baby. I mean, that's kind of what we see in Hollywood or the Asian TV dramas I watch, you know, <laughs> like where, you know, almost every one night stand results in a baby. But the reality is that, you know, studies show only about 40 to 60 percent um, Actually, I should rephrase that. So studies show that about 40 to 60% of fertilized eggs do not make it to a live birth. And so, and the reality too, is that most of these pregnancy losses happen so early that the woman didn't even realize that she was pregnant. So, you know, when we talk about a woman has poor egg quality, what that means that is that her chance of having a live birth after her egg has been fertilized is even less than that, 40 to 60%. And so egg quality is very important when trying to get pregnant successfully. And it's especially so <clears throat> for couples who are dealing with recurrent pregnancy loss with unexplained infertility, failed IUI or IVF 
or um, just simply being older, because it is true, egg quality typically does decline with age. And um, it is also very important for women with hormonal imbalances like in uh, PCOS. Yeah. Wow. I don't know that I've ever heard, you know, in my world professionally, it's like, yes, I've heard about it, but just as someone who practices charting and understanding my body, I've never received any type of education on that, on a, on, on a personal level from my, from my doctors, from anyone in the space of medical care that I received, even just thinking about growing up, like reproductive health wasn't really talked about. I was just asked if I wanted to be on the pill or not in my teens, like yeah, yeah. And I would go as far as to say that most OBs can't really explain to you what is it quality or how to improve it uh, either. And in fact, um, I think I've met a few OBs who were shocked to hear that, oh, it's possible to improve it quality. So um, yeah, <laughs> well, I think so you're not alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think too, the stat that you said is 40 to 60% of eggs, you said do not become exactly fertilized make it. To, to make it to a live birth yeah so fertilized eggs 40 to 60 percent that's a huge number I had no yeah. idea I mean that's right. that's a lot and just thinking like wow with all like ex experiences and diagnoses of women unexplained infertility like you said losses multiple losses um this is so unaddressed and so needed. So as you, as we're talking about this, what does it look like to pursue healthy egg quality? What would it look like for someone to do that? Yeah. So I think to tell people how to uh, improve egg quality, let's talk about what contributes to egg quality. So it turns out egg quality has a lot to do with the proper development and maturation of the egg cell. And that actually makes a lot of sense because if the egg cell is not fully mature, it's not going to continue to develop very well after fusion with the sperm. So what does the egg need to develop and mature properly? Well, it turns out the big picture is that why you got to have really healthy mitochondria and you got to have optimally balanced hormones. So mitochondria is very important because they're the powerhouses of our cells. They generate energy in the form of ATP, right? So energy is important for the egg to uh, develop and mature properly. Um, and hormones are also very important to stimulate the egg cell to grow and develop as well too. So when we're talking about hormones, so we're talking about androgens like testosterone, um, insulin, prolactin, thyroid, and many more. But the key point is about having these hormones optimally balanced because the typical lab reference range is often way too wide. And women are told, oh yeah, your labs are normal, when in fact it can still be suboptimal for fertility. So now that we know what actually contribute to egg quality, let's talk about how to improve egg quality. So on the mitochondrial front, uh, which I think it's a really occupies a pretty big importance when it comes to egg quality, um, there's a lot we can do. So it turns out that mitochondria is quite susceptible to inflammation, free radicals, stress. So one of the best thing we can do to improve egg quality is to minimize inflammation. And one way to do that is controlling uh, what we put into our mouth. So eating an anti-inflammatory diet. So one that is particularly lower in processed sugar, low in processed foods in general, eating lots of green uh, leafy uh, vegetables, um, eating lots of 
fruits and vegetables of all different colors is also very good. Um, so that's eating an anti-inflammatory diet in the very basic sense. Um, but also, um, you know, addressing stress um, as well. And certainly there are a lot of supplements women can take to boost egg quality. Um, the most well-researched one is CoQ10, or also known as Coenzyme Q10. Um, and there are other things like uh, environmental toxins um, can actually contribute to poor egg quality. There's actually a ton of research over the last 15, 20 years. And so toxins, common ones, like we find in our everyday house, like plastic that's found in bisphenol A, can increase risk of miscarriage. It actually, yeah, decreases egg quality and even in our personal care products. So uh, anything that has fragrance in it has phthalate basically. And phthalate is known to be detrimental to uh, egg development as well as to sperm um, health as well too. So, um, so yeah, uh, so at least a very basic step is to avoid these common toxins. So, you know, those are some things you can do to improve mitochondrial health. And then in terms of the hormonal front, I think at least the very first step people got to do is first test your hormones because otherwise we don't know how to optimize them, right? So that's the very first step. Yeah. I think it's so important that you touch on the different toxins that are at play and also like eating anti-inflammatory foods. I think a lot of times we, I think we, we hear in nutrition and we think, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We, it's talked about so much, so many different diets you can do, things that you can try and depending on the direction that you go. But I think when it comes to environmental toxins, I think people are a little more, um, uh, I think a little more hesitant because it sounds a little woo woo, like, oh, I need to buy this product or I'm only supposed to buy this product. And I think it can sound like a marketing campaign, but like you said, there's so much research available and there are alternatives. And there are many different brands that are working to eliminate these toxins. And, you know, so you don't have to have all of this in your home, on your body, in your body. It's something I've definitely become more and more passionate about the more I've learned, because again, it's not talked about and, and right. we just think like, oh, well, it's fine. You know, we even think, oh, well, my mom used it. My grandma used it. This is a product. It should be fine. And it's like, okay, but things change. Science is continually changing. What are we learning and how can we better, better impact our health? Right. Right. And I think the reality is that since World War II, you know, just the amount of chemicals that have been developed and released into our environment just is enormous such that you know our grandparents generation really wasn't exposed to this amount of environmental toxins so it is new yeah I, I have a question related to that as as you mentioned that because yeah you're saying about egg quality 40 to 60 percent of eggs may may not make it to a live birth they may not fertilize yeah. Um, we're also talking about these environmental toxins and I'm not sure correlation causation. So you could speak to this, you know, our grandparents didn't have this high level of exposure to environmental toxins. And we also hear a lot of the phrases like, oh, people had so many babies back then, you know, and, and yes, there's also the introduction much more heavily of contraceptives as well. But have you found in your research that there could be a connection in some small way or a factor that smaller family sizes may be somewhat related to the high increase of environmental toxins at play as well and for egg quality. 
Yeah, well, I think this is very multifactorial. Uh, people are living longer. People, you know, uh, more women are getting education, uh, you know, at a college level, even at a graduate school level, which is awesome. Uh, and more women are pursuing professional uh, careers. And I think that in turn is causing a lot of couples to delay uh, childbearing uh, year, you know, the start the the start of their family so I think that plays a very big role too um, so certainly there are many many different roles but I do think that in some at least toxins do contribute in some way because um, you may have heard of the headline where you know uh, the sperm count has um, decreased probably by at least 50 percent over the last 50 years yeah the average sperm count and you know like why you know, us humans been on this planet for, you know, a very, very long time. But why just in these 50 years is are we seeing this decline? You know, initially, there was some controversy about it. People are saying, oh, are we testing it correctly? It's a really a 50% decline. But it seems like, you know, yeah, uh, more and more, we are seeing that um, uh, this is accurate. And I think it's because, um, yeah, mitochondria is very important for sperm quality too and they're very susceptible to toxins you know sperm they're supposed to swim and swimming requires energy that the mitochondria provides right so um so yeah i feel like sperm they're kind of the canary in the coal mine so to speak they they kind of tell us ah something is wrong in our environment yeah that's fascinating i mean i, I think understanding that you know, we can, we can improve this and also recognizing the stats are, are real. Like you said, it wasn't 5% drop, 50% drop for sperm count is that's a huge decrease. Right. It is a huge decrease. Now, fortunately, guys make millions and millions of yeah. sperm and it just <laughs> takes one sperm to, you know, one healthy sperm to, uh, you know, uh, fertilizing eggs. So, you know, um, so they got that kind of reserve, but still it is a big drop. Yeah. yeah and, and I love that you're highlighting this and it speaks to, you know, when you said holistic with the W, like the whole person, it's like, you know, while we may, you know, hone in on, we want to have good egg quality, great sperm quality, fertilize egg. We have live birth. We're also looking at whole person saying, hold on, why are we seeing that 50% drop? Even though, yes, we have this reserve and we need one sperm. So I think that's just awesome. You're, you're attacking it from all different sides and really helping us explore and get curious about, okay, what could be going on and what are we seeing? What are we finding? So yeah. does egg quality impact other aspects of our health? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, because remember, uh, mitochondria health is very important for egg quality. And so really uh, mitochondria is it's because it's energy generation uh, that's important to so many aspects of our overall health. So it's important for our heart health, muscle health, brain health. So if our mitochondria health is not good, we're more likely to have heart problems, degenerative neurologic problems, and even muscle weakness and fatigue, right? And we also mentioned that 
equality also has much to do with hormonal balance. And we know that hormonal uh, balance is important for our mood and other physical well-being. So I have certainly found that in the process of helping my woman improve their equality, their energy is better, their mood is better. And I even had a good number of women uh, who had their ear ringing that they had for years resolved after working with me because apparently mitochondrial health is also involved in ear ringing. So yeah, um, fascinating, right? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Because I can think of some women in my life where they're like, man, I just deal, I just deal with ear ringing like constantly. Wow. I think it just speaks to the fact that our bodies are so interconnected and that like, Mm -hmm. it's like you where we've turned off reproductive health and we're not going to worry about it until you want to have a baby. It's, it's, it's not that simple and it's not separate. It's really integrated into the rest of our health. You're right. It's yeah, it is all interconnected. (laughs) So how do you know if you have good egg quality or not? You alluded to this a little bit, but I'd love to dig in a little bit deeper. Yeah, so the reality is that there is actually no good test, no single one test that can tell you what your egg quality is. So I can make certain assumptions that maybe egg quality may not be as good if a woman um, presents to me at an older age. So, you know, typically women over 35, um, we think that her egg quality is lower. Of course, those are just averages. But, you know, I do have um, patients fill out very, very exhaustive questionnaires when they first come to see me, where I ask a lot about their lifestyle, their habits, their stress level, even about their possible toxin um, exposures. So some of these things can clue me into, you know, can they have a negative impact on their mitochondria health? And of course, I also do fairly extensive blood testing to assess for markers of inflammation, antioxidant status, and hormonal balance. And those test results also clue me into the status of the egg quality. So it's not one single thing, but kind of looking at all of these things as a composite. Yeah. Yeah, that's so helpful. So obviously not everyone can go to you, but I'm sure listening to this, they wish they could. (laughs) So what do you do if your doctor doesn't know what you're talking about like what are do you have resources that you they could get through you to send to their doctor or like how do you approach this conversation when you know you probably need these tests or you want these tests and you don't know if your doctor can provide them for you Yeah, that is definitely tricky. But, you know, fortunately, there are organizations like Facts About Fertility, which I absolutely love. Um, They're a nonprofit organization and they do have a healthcare practitioner directory. So um, they have a list of all the different um, practitioners from all the different restorative reproductive medicine backgrounds. And so so it's a global directory too. So that's really nice. So um, so you may be able to find someone who is local to your area. But um, yeah, I think it does require a little bit more research um, to work with a doctor who can help answer your questions. Because, you know, I know having gone through this journey myself that when I um, was asking my reproductive endocrinologist about cervical mucus. He was like a deer in the headlights, didn't really know much about it really. And then when I was asking him, so what do you think about so-and-so supplements for my fertility? And again, he really didn't have much to say about them. And so I, you know, that's when I realized, gosh, yeah, I, I need to move on and, you know, seek somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great example too, when you realize that your doctor just can't serve the needs that you have, it's, it doesn't mean that 
um, you know, you're they're right and you're wrong, it may mean, okay, this is time to move on so I can get the care that I that I do need. Because I know I've had women reach out and say, you know, their doctor maybe was a little more obstinate or frustrated by the questions. Um, and, and I think that for me is just a sign like, okay, I, I could understand that there's maybe a level of, you know, frustration on their part as trying to serve as best they can but they're not an expert in this particular area. And so you have you have to discern when it's time to say goodbye to them and find someone new. Right, right. And I, I, I feel kind of bad. Uh, I don't like to bath mouth other doctors by any means. And I think that, you know, I feel doctors these days uh, are under a tremendous amount of pressure. Uh, oftentimes they work in large organizations there and they're, uh, they're being counters that are, you know, uh, after them saying, Oh, yeah. How many patients are you seeing a day? You know, they're kind of forced to see like a patient every 15 minutes. So they're under tremendous amount of pressure. And uh, so when they're under that much pressure, they don't really have as much time to spend with patients to really be there to be open minded and listen and all of that. And so um, so it's definitely not easy. And, you know, that's kind of part of the reason why I decided to start my own clinic where I can decide how I want to do things and spend ample time with my patients too. Yeah. That's such a good point to make, because I think that's like the tough balance in, in finding a doctor that works well for you, but ones that don't, don't necessarily mean that they're bad doctors. They just have maybe some limited exposure experiences in this training. And you've hit that max point of their ability to care for you in the way that you need it, but that doesn't make them bad. Yeah. Yeah. So many limitations too. Like we talked a little bit about in the education world that it's, it's not really their fault. I don't blame them for that. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think with how it's just like you said too, how extensive their hours are. And when you're in medical school, how involved that is too, there's not a lot of time to dedicate to training and educating yourself. And like you said, FACS is such an incredible organization being able to provide a lot of that training in in ways that it's actually feasible for medical professionals to learn. Right. Yeah. So you um, have your own practice and you also mentioned Fertility Breakthrough Academy in our introduction here. Can you tell us more about your academy and the courses that you offer? Yeah. So um, I think of it as a basically a comprehensive roadmap for learning how to optimize uh, a couple's egg and sperm quality. So I teach people about how to eat an anti-inflammatory diet, how to not only avoid the different environmental toxins, but I go a step further teaching people how to detox or remove existing toxin, toxic burden in their body out of their body. And I do teach a little bit about balancing hormones. I do have a handout as part of the course on the list of labs I like to test as well as their optimal lab ranges. Um, And this course also teaches people what are some additional supplements that can help with egg and even sperm quality and exactly where my students can find these supplements at a discount, even if they live outside of the U.S. So um, yeah, I think it's very important to make sure you find high quality supplements because that can uh, make a difference as well. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell what my course include. That's awesome. I want to touch on this too, as we're talking about equality with supplements, because I see supplements promoted by influencers, by, you know, people, whether in the nutrition world or the beauty blogging world, I see things come up online. Um, And I'm not asking you to specifically say like, yeah, here are all the supplements someone listening should take, because I know obviously that's very specific to each person, but 
Could you just speak a little to the supplement world? Like what are maybe some questions someone should ask themselves or how do you vet out, hey, is this actually a good quality supplement or not? Yeah, so um, I like to see if the supplement company is doing third-party testing to see if what they say they have is actually in there. So, you know, if they are can readily provide their uh, their certificate of analysis, for instance. Um, so that can be re- very reassuring. And are they using bioavailable ingredients? You know, because the most commonly people go to Amazon and find the cheapest prenatal they can find. And uh, it turns out it doesn't have the best, you know, um, bioavailable ingredients. Um, and so if they're not being absorbed well into your body, they're not doing you a whole lot of good, right? And so I know sometimes it's hard to know, but just to give you an example, like maybe zinc instead of um, the the higher quality one will be like zinc um, bisglycinate. Um, they will use zinc oxide, for instance. So that's cheap, but unfortunately, it doesn't absorb as well. So same thing, you know, magnesium oxide is frequently used but that doesn't absorb so well. And I like to use so magnesium that is also magnesium bisglycinate. Um, and sometimes it just doesn't, you know, the um, the prenatal may not have the, it may not even have some of the basic stuff that I would like to see uh, it have, um, or, or the amount is not quite the one that I want, uh, the, yeah, the amount that I want. So, um, so I know it's a little bit tricky for, you know, someone who is not in the field to know. Um, but I think, you know, in general, um, making sure that they do the third party testing is very important. And seeing if they are using bioavailable ingredients is also important. And sometimes, um, you know, I think that if a company really cares about the environment too, um, they make uh, an effort to package your products in like glass jars too. Um, so, you know, that could be a sign that, you know, they're very serious about um, the the impact of toxins on, you know, even on the environment, even how they package the supplements too. So, yeah. That's really helpful because I know I've, I've had questions like, what prenatal should I take from some women, you know, or like, what supplements do you recommend? What do you think about probiotics? And it's like, well, one, I'm not an expert, but two, I don't always have the best expert to direct to because I, I know that um, it's kind of all across the board when I see supplements recommended. So I think having that framework is really helpful to look for when someone yeah. figure out what what to buy and what would be a good investment. Cause like you said, the price point can vary, but I think right. when you know your why it makes it a little bit easier to invest in it. And you're willing to make, you know, maybe those budget shifts or um, identify where, you know, you're willing to give up that weekly coffee to say, okay, this is going to this better prenatal or better supplement that I need for my health. Right, right. So I try to kind of point people in my course, like, okay, if you have this, you know, issue going on, this supplement could be better. Nothing still beats up with actually working with a doctor who is in the restorative or productive medicine space and maybe even have functional medicine training because they can even personalize the approach more. So, you know, uh, in my clinic, I do very extensive testing. And from that, that I can further uh, tailor their supplements um, based on that testing. Yeah. This is so helpful. 
Is there anything else that you'd like to include that you realize, oh, we didn't touch on it that you want to make sure our listeners know? Um, well, I think it's not so much that we haven't uh, talked about, but I think I just want to emphasize that it is just really important to uh, do the investigation. So to do the testing and not to assume things. So, um, so I think, you know, whether it's your hormone hormones, your uh, markers of inflammation, and you know, like, or just even having the guy get his side of the equation tested. <laughs> That's very important, you know, so do the investigation. Don't skip it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for being on today and exploring this topic with us, explaining and providing your expertise to our listeners. I know this is a, a topic that I think so many all women can learn from, but I think men too, and just understanding this is really important to our health and not only in the intention of having a baby, but overall good health and function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I can, I, I tell my patients, I don't have any guarantees that I can give you a baby. Nobody can. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, uh, I can say with 100% confidence, though, that by working with me, I can absolutely help you feel healthier. Um, so that's, yeah, definitely true. And then if I uh, may mention, too, that um, if people are interested in working with me, I only see patients who live in California. Um, but you could check out my website at elisayalmd.com. And if you are interested in working with me as a patient, a starting point is um, by scheduling a 30-minute fertility insight session with me. So, yep. Oh, and I should mention that um, just as a heads up for this fertility insight session, to schedule this appointment, I do ask people to give me the result of some basic form labs done on cycle day three, like FSH, LH, estradiol, and AMH. And that way I have some objective numbers that I can use to tell people about their fertility. So it is a fertility insight session. So I want to have some objective data to provide them that's information. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And then I also want to mention too, with your Fertility Breakthrough Academy, you have a link for listeners to get them 50% off the course. So I will be sure to share that so that they have access to that. Um, and I don't want people to miss out. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I really need some science-backed approaches. I need to understand how to improve egg quality, sperm quality. Don't miss out on this offer that Elisa is offering to us. This is awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you're loving the podcast, could you please leave a review? I want these conversations to get into the headphones of more men and women to invite them on a journey of wholeness too. Thank you so much in advance. It means so much to me. You can find more support for charting, instructor guidance, guides, courses, and more by visiting my website, www.managingyourfertility.com. You can also find me on social media at Managing Your Fertility. And don't forget to subscribe to my email list for exclusive content and weekly conversations. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you helping next generation of women like me. Thank you.